The Sutra Show. This is a podcast about being together, from consciousness to cooperation. We explore the psychology, philosophy, and practice of peaceful coexistence in all its varied permutations. I'm your host, Lorenz Christian Sell, and today my guests are Craig and Patricia Neal, authors of The Art of Convening. I honestly cannot speak highly enough of Craig and Patricia as human beings. I am always touched by their humility and deep commitment to their work. Their career spans a lifetime of bringing people together in ways that generate authentic engagement and meaningful connection. In this conversation, we explore the journey that brought them to this path, as well as more recent work. They convened hundreds of people in conjunction with city officials in their hometown of Minneapolis after the killing of George Floyd. And they share the details of how they transformed this potentially contentious political gathering into one that left everybody feeling heard. Today's conversation is full of wisdom and meaningful insights into the art of convening. Please enjoy. Welcome, Craig and Patricia. Um, it's it's a real honor to have you here. I just want to acknowledge how inspired I am by um, just by your presence, um, by your humility that I experience every time I'm in a space with you, um, and and by your book, which I've just found found is so articulate and and so simple. Um, and and I thought we'd start there and and maybe just unpack this question a little bit of. Um, what is the art of convening? Let me start. <laughs> okay. We've worked together so long. Uh, each of us probably has a response. So I'll, I'll begin. Mm -hmm. um, Patricia um, said after hosting, convening, and producing leadership groups for six years back in the uh, mid-90s, um, we were on to something and she said you have to go and 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 write the recipe for it in other words what the heck are we doing here at these leadership groups and what it was was really a pathway uh based on transformative what a transformative meeting gathering or conversation might look like because both of us had spent many years in meetings. I was a professional meeting goer as a publisher of magazines. Patricia as well doing different things. And what we realized is that people by and large did not like meetings, did not like going to them. I didn't really. Didn't really know how to design them. Yeah, didn't really, you know, and I thought, well, my gosh, I'm spending my life in meetings and have for many, many years, and I would pick and choose them, but I thought, well, what does the transformative gathering look like? What does it really look and feel like, and how could we replicate it? Because it's not just about charisma, or somebody who's, you know, who got it, the chemistry. Mm -hmm. And so we set it upon developing a certain level of principles and practices, and by and large, convening is the art and the science of gathering and holding people in a safe and generative space 
for authentic engagement and the highest possible outcome. It's that simple, really. And behind it, over the years, you know, we've collaboratively and co-creatively developed a methodology, I guess, based upon the convening wheel, which are the nine aspects of the wheel, which really are the nine chapters of our book. Yeah, and backing it up back to when we were we would hold these gatherings and you know people would show up in their suit and ties or their it was they were pretty formal business settings, but it very quickly we could get to the essence or what was at the heart of the matter. Yeah. And people would leave and go, hmm, whoa, how did you do that? I don't I could never do that at home. And um, meaning at work or, or in my yeah, organization. Or in my organization, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I could never do that back there. That's not how. That's not how we do things there. We don't talk about what's real or vulnerable you know? or yeah. Right. right. And so we and it started out by really what's at the heart. Of, we would ask every. We would have conversation starters. So the whole modality was different. We were sitting in circle. Very few people had started, had, were sitting in circle. We asked deep questions. We had, uh, uh, we called them instead of speakers, conversation starters, because we were looking for how do you engage people in their own sovereignty, their own self-authority, their own leadership, so that they're not just expecting to get the content or the expert download and think that that person has all the answers and all the power, and they don't. So from the beginning, we were looking at what's a model for collective engagement and collective wisdom. And so people would leave just blown away because the meetings were so generative. And, you know, people would walk in kind of tired and even at eight o'clock, well, eight o'clock in the morning, that's when they were. So, but no matter what, whether we were doing a conference and and it was an afternoon, people would walk in and they would leave regenerated. It was, I used to call it a homeopathic uh, because people would would leave infused with their own, with with their own sense of of themselves and their leadership, but also had met some really interesting people that they could then collaborate with or stay in touch with or, you know, help to, to continue the conversation. So and these were the in-person thought leader gatherings that Patricia's well, and describing. Our, we had three conferences, national yeah. conferences called the inner life of business, igniting purpose and spirit at work. And before that, we had a national con- international conference called a passion for life, revision, revisioning how we live, heal, and die. And that was so, really what got us going. Yeah. I mean, that conference, um, Matthew Fox um, came to speak. He had just written Reinv- Reinvention of, of work. work. Right. And uh, we had a, a, a mini conference around spirituality and work. Right. This is 96. Yeah. And um, that really kicked off a whole new thing for us. Yeah. Um, And that's really where it took off. But the common thread for me has always been, so people would say, I I can never do this back at work. Or I can never talk to my children about something that really matters. Or, And I would say, well, we just need to give them the recipe 
We can't expect they're going to know how to do it, even after years of being with us. So you, you, you've got, I, that's the way I am. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a programmer, I'm a linear thinker often. I just need the steps, give me the steps, and then I can, I'll bake my own cake, but I need to know the basic steps first. So, um, so that, that's where the training <laughs> evolved from. What, what are the basic steps? Well, the art of convening. For yeah. authentic engagement. Yeah. 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 I, I love this. And I want to maybe just zoom back a tiny little bit and, and ask, like, what, what were the origins of that desire? You know, when, when did you, um, and maybe it was different for either one of you, but I'm, uh, you know, when, when did you, what was there before you figured out that what you were looking to do was group process? Oh, community organizing. Yeah. Hmm. And and was that just about bringing people together? I mean, what was the what was the spirit of it for you, for you? And for, in the for me, it was about engagement, about in, um, hmm. engaging people at a level of. Of, I didn't know it. I wouldn't have called it this at the time, but in a conversation where it was like heart to heart, you can get authentic with people if you mm -hmm. speak to their heart. And because um, I had both of us, but I in particular had gone through years and years of community organizing where, you know, we hand out leaflets and information and you should vote this way and blah, blah, blah. And we changed some minds, but did we, but we weren't, we didn't know enough at that time to know that what we really, what would really be a, make be transformational, was to speak to people's hearts, yeah. and so that we were just on the edge of I think of figuring that out, and yeah. then the Utney salons may have played a role in yeah. it too, did yeah. they? Oh sure, yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I've spent most of my life in different communities. Uh, from the early days of communes back in the late 60s and 70s. Um, so my background goes back to um, to that. My parents had a salon in their living room called Thinkers and Drinkers. And yeah, I was, uh, yeah, in junior high school, I was, uh, you know, sit on the steps. So it was a fly on the wall. And then all the way through college when I became the bartender and I would be able to listen to these people talk about the events of the day in a, in a salon. Um, right. We picked it up at Utney Reader. A magazine that he worked for. Many years brought, later. Brought and that was the basis of the magazine was these eating and dining salons where we would bring people together and we right. would ask them a question. What do you, passionate and obsessing about now talk about a great question huh so yeah and we would ask them and there'd be we were in we were in a bar uh, in a back room and that's how we developed the editorial for the magazine was having these eating and dining or mm. these reading and dining salons right and it was great yeah. so that was kind of the origin i think of you know, come to think of it, some, you know, how we came together and how we started this business. Yeah. And, and, and then the flip side of all of that is really bad meetings and, or community gatherings or engagements where I, mean, I watched a couple of communities just fall apart because one or two people 
either decided they wanted to take over and the rest of us didn't know what to do about that, or there was conflict between a couple of key people. And it's amazing how quickly just one person can infect a group and change the trajectory and in a way that uh, is, is often a surprise to the group. And so I was always interested in, well, what is that about? How, how did we allow that to happen? And because there's an allowing and what were the uh, lack of agreements between us? And then we contrast that with, mm. we've been, our children attended uh, Waldorf's uh, school system called Waldorf. It's an international school system, <clears throat> independent school system. And, um, and twice we were called on to be part of founding families uh, one in particular in Vermont, where uh, several families pledged X amount of, of capital and, um, and volunteer time. And we all really put our lives on the line to get that school up and running. And what, what worked about it, there was a lot that worked about it, but what didn't work about it was the agreements weren't really clear. And in the process, somebody got, there were people that got sacrificed, meaning there were, the stress was really great for some families and there were divorces. There was a number of just, just things that had, you know, physical ailments. And that's not, I can't attribute it to, to that, to that effort. And yet I've watched enough now, enough, enough settings where if the agreements aren't clear and people don't know, like we, I define collaboration as a co-created uh, generative engagement in which everyone that has equity and value for all participants. And so I think that, you know, we didn't know the word equity until just a few years ago, but that's really what's, you know, how, do, how, are, you, how are you meant to collaborate so you can have some skin in the game but also that you are, it's regenerative for you as well. Mm. I love that. And I, I want to maybe un un unpack that a little bit, this, this, the word you're using, equity. So what I'm hearing is that everybody feels like they have either a stake in or responsibility for, yeah. for, for what happens. And um, so I'm, I'm, you know, to me, that feels like one of the most challenging aspects of really bringing people together that, you know, it's not, it's, I think the default is people come together and there's a leader figure and they're like, okay, you figure it out. We'll just maybe do what you tell us to do. Maybe not. Um, and then, and then the other side of that is, is really enrolling everyone into, into this thing. And, um, and you use the word agreements around um, dealing, uh, dealing with difficult situations. And I, I'd, I'd love to hear, hear you talk a little bit more about the, the I have mechanics an around that. May I? Yeah, and, and before you mm -hmm. give it, um, I, when we were writing the book, as is true probably for most authors, we really paid attention to language. And so we use agreements instead of rules. Well, you know, there is, I like, I kind of like mm -hmm. rules of engagement, but rules are often imposed agreements are collaborative. Um, they require a reciprocity of sorts. So, um, so we, we, we use a lot of language intentionally to invite people to 
participate in ways that they aren't maybe not normally be asked to participate, which is to show up and be accountable. And and so anyway, what what's your example? Um, well, most people, I would assume everybody's heard about what happened in Minneapolis on Memorial Day this year. Um, George Floyd was murdered by the um, a member of the Minneapolis Police Department, which set off a series of, as it's described, protests, riots, fires, I mean, mayhem throughout the city. Uh, one of the people that we know is our city council member, and we're active locally and, and in the community. And um, she, uh, I approached her and I said, you know, our city's burning and you're probably getting thousands and thousands of phone calls. And she said, absolutely, my hair's on fire. And, you know, and she was. I mean, her energy level was just like this. It was just this meaning. <laughs> she was very stressed. And I said, why don't we bring our ward, she's the city council person for a ward, I don't know how many thousands of people, but several, and uh, we'll do a Zoom call, and you'll tell them what you know, what you don't know, um, what to expect in our ward, and what might happen and what you can do. Answer those questions and we'll do it on Zoom. And, um, and this here's where the agreements come in. Okay. So <laughs> she decided at four o'clock for it to be a go, put it out on social media and two hours later we had 300 plus people on a Zoom call in two hours. And one of the things that we do and did is that we created an environment where we were very clear about protocols and agreements. And we said, this is who we are. We asked permission to convene. Uh, we're going, this is what we're going to do. So we set the context. We went through everything. And um, we're neighbors. We're neighbors. We want to express mutual trust and respect. We want to create an environment where we can all listen, but where your questions, all your questions can get answered. Yes. And so we explained in detail that um, what we were going to do, but that your questions, your voice can be heard through the chat. And so we're going to do our very best because we have a team of six people that are going to go through and look at all of the questions in the chat, synthesize them and feed them to our elected officials, of which we had two. And so we asked permission and we went through all of the things that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, principles of convening and we asked people to really listen. We ask people to assume positive intent. It's and a, a lot of you know a lot of things that most people had never heard before, especially in a meeting. Especially in a political a political meeting. meeting. They're used to, you know, and agendas advocating advocating. And so, what mm. surprised the elected officials that were on the call was that people really. Yeah, yeah. They they took a collective breath. Right. Now, mind you, this was Saturday after two days 
of rioting and fires not far from people's homes. So people's, the level of um, tension all night and vigils fear. To, all, save, to yeah. save property and so take care of neighbors. The outcome was that um, people were thanking them mm -hmm. for hearing them, mm -hmm. uh, for addressing the questions, for letting people know exactly what they knew and didn't know and what to expect. And um, neighbor, uh, all sorts of organizing happened on that one call. Well, we did it three nights in a row. And uh, by the third night, things had calmed down. But there was this central garden, if you will. I'm taking that term from some good friends of ours. World Cafe. Yeah, and um, that's what has occurred. So we've been asked to do the same thing for other wards in the city. And hopefully our goal is that we can do it for the entire city of Minneapolis. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, but to have that opportunity to create that level of cohesion, coherence, and, and people actually listening to one another. And, but you know, how did we do that in two hours? Well, first we know a lot of great people that we called to be in on the team. Yeah. So, you know, just like that, we had six people show up on a Saturday afternoon from around the country. But the work that we've each done personally and collectively over, we've been together 40 years and almost 40, you know, 40 years and, uh, and had our business together for uh, 25. 25 years. Yeah, this fall. We've done a lot of work. We've done a lot of work individually. We've done a lot of work collectively. And so the agreements are as much with myself as they are with the people. Right. And what I mean by that is, is that I have an agreement to show up and hold space. Right. I have an agreement with myself to show up and hold space for people to, um, to not be who they are, you know, at my expense, but to find their voice, to hear themselves in, in their authentic voice and realize that that is such a gift. It is such a gift to, be, to speak authentically, be heard mm. intently, and, uh, you know, not to be fixed not to have the answers necessarily, but um, I, that is a clear agreement that I made with myself a long time ago, is that I know how to hold space and I'll, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to step forward and be one of, one of the people that will do that. And I'm, and I'm fierce about knowing the power of um, a well-convened, well-created <laughs> container that hold that holds principles and allows people to show up authentically. Mm. But that starts with me and what is it, what yeah. I'm willing to show up, how I'm willing to show up, and what I'm willing to show up for. That kind of gets to the heart of what we do in our work with the art of convening trainings. <laughs> it's really a lot of people come and think it's about techniques. Well, what do I do now, and what do I do then, and and how does you know how do you do that? Because we do say nine steps. Right. Yeah. 
But the more that we've done this work, and we've been doing the Art of Convening trainings for 15 years, mainly in virtual space, but it's really about the inner life. Mm -hmm. It's really about what we call the inner wheel of convening. It's the questions one asks oneself about being in relationship. Because one of the things that we've come to agree upon is that it's all about relationship. Everything. That's what the human experience is. So, there's no separation. Yeah. I'm still, you know, I, 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 I say it because I want to believe it. And at some point I'll know it. Yeah. But that is a principle that, yeah. um, you know, talk about the arc of recognition. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's a certain point when back in our thought leader gathering days, um, we ran them. I don't know. Did you say we ran them every month for 18 years? Every month we had a thought leader gathering. 230 of them over uh, 18 here, years. Here in the Bay Area, California. Well, there was a point. Um, of every meeting. Of almost every meeting, I would say, mm -hmm. where once we developed our model, mm -hmm. if you will, mm -hmm. where at a certain point you could feel this kachink. You could feel when, when people were really feeling seen and also seeing the other which we call the arc of recognition. When, when one feels totally seen in, in our essence, you know, for example, I'm sitting there with 40, 50 people in a circle, and all of a sudden I'm going, holy mackerel, everybody can see me for who I really am. And then simultaneously I can see them for who they are in essence. That is what we call the arc of recognition, which is a term that I got from one of my teachers, Oscar Achazo, who is the founder of the Eureka Institute. But we've really taken that to heart, mm -hmm. and it's really a threshold, I think, mm -hmm. in any meeting, gathering, or conversation of authenticity um, that really that we look for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We look for the emergence of, of that. And um, it's powerful, really powerful. Mm -hmm. Thank you for, for just going so, so deep into this territory. Um, well, you asked a great question. <laughs> I, I, really, I, I, I really appreciate the, the um, yeah. The reference to the agreement yeah. that you have with yourself you know that's a that, i think that's really easy to to overlook and and also the you you guys just said it in passing that you know that it's it's that people might look at the work that you do and and see it as as you know a nine-step convening wheel but but there's a much deeper inner inner territory there mm -hmm. um and i i'd, I'd love to like touch into that. I'm not even sure what what question to ask here. A, a little bit, and I and I think there might be like many layers to to this question because because one one question I'd wanted to ask you is is just about what develops over time in your capacity as a convener. You know, because there must be um, you know at least in my experience, there's there's a there's a tacit sensitivity. You just can't read it in a book. You know, you can kind of get 
the steps in the book, but then there's something much deeper that emerges in, in your capacity to be sensitive to the relational space that really comes, you know, and is part of the inner process that comes with doing it so much. And like you said, like 200 plus gatherings, you know, over 18 years, that, that gives you something that you just can't pick up in a course on convening. Um, and I, I, you know, I'd, I'd love I, to the extent possible, I'd love to hear your reflections on, on that something. <laughs> what do you think? Great question. What comes up for me is, we always return to the center, the heart of the matter, the purpose. Mm-hmm. And the question is, who am I going to be in this relationship? That's always the central question. Who am I going to be? And um, it's always a place to return to. And and usually when people start asking that question, you know, all sorts of shit comes up. You know, it's like, it was, whoa, we started peeling the onion. And then... To me, what happens is people, when they get real, when we get real, when I get real, it's contagious. You know, people just kind of, okay, man, I can breathe. I can really be with you. I can really, and that's the experiment that we're working with, would you say? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just every day, it's a different, it's an experiment. We're all as you know rapid prototyping you know we're making it up aspiration (laughs) and it's aspirational yeah Yeah. i think all of this is aspirational yeah Yeah. and it's never over yeah and never i mean there's just so much i learn every day yeah you know i want to talk a little bit about more about purpose because i think Mm. purpose is at the is at the it's at the heart of the matter that's part of the definition um but you know you've had a purpose for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and I think my purpose, you know, uh, <clears throat> has evolved and maybe honed more recently in terms of my um, knowing that I'm here to um, help people be seen and see others in their gifts and their values so that um, they they can begin to be be seen in their gifts and values what they have to bring and offer and see that in others and call it forward and and then once you know once you get like the arc of recognition once that happens everybody belongs yeah and everybody counts and um, but that's actually you know that might be like in the last 10 years or so, 20 years for me, but you've had a purpose for a long time. Well, I call it a central, yeah, maybe purpose. Or knowing, I mean. I've had a purpose for, we all have purposes, but you've had a knowing. Knowing, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because purposes can change in different ways, but there's a central theme or a knowing, yeah. Right. I mean, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963, I had an awakening. Um, it was during the I Have a Dream speech. And it wasn't with, actually with, the speech. <laughs> with Martin. Martin Luther King. Yeah. It was really being there. You know, just being there. Mm. Um, and I left 
And I realized at that point that's never left me, uh, that my life was one of service. I didn't know which direction it would take. I had no idea. 1963, 16, 17 years old. Um, but yeah, and it stayed with me. I feel very fortunate. Um, yeah. It's been great. And Patricia and I have been partners in this, and we've melded lives, parents. We have three children. We have four grandchildren. Um, we work together. And as you know, <laughs> sometimes that's mostly it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to ask a little bit about, um, you mentioned something earlier that was really interesting about uh, mm -hmm. spirituality and work. And, and, you know, this, this, there's a few things here about, you know, when you bring people together in this way and, and kind of what, what emerges that authenticity and, and what I, you know, I guess there's, this is kind of like a two-sided question because what I appreciate about your book is, is that it, it's, it, it, it's, it's very, uh, in a way agnostic, you know, but. Uh, but I also suspect that there is that there is a spiritual kind of undertone, at least at the very least, to to the two of you. Um, and and I'm 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 curious about your kind of the relationship to that thread, to the to the significance of you, you know to the spiritual aspect and what what that even means in this way of bringing people together. Hmm. I have a thought. Would you, would go go, go for it. Oh uh, well. Craig used to use this term called condoned schizophrenia. And it was that you would show up at the door of your workplace and you were expected to walk in as a quantifiable, recognizable product that could go sit at their desk, perform for their eight to 10 hours, focus totally on work and the rest of life stayed behind the minute you walked through the door and then you know you might and then you leave and life you you, you back the rest of you is it exists and um and you know back in the 90s I and mean, we could see people suffering mm -hmm. because of that there's the toll on uh particularly parents people with kids where or or aging parents i mean there was a point where my parents were dying our grandchildren were being born our sons were graduating from high school all in the span of four years and um you know how could i have dealt with that in 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 a former workplace more than likely i would have had to take a leave of absence i would have been deemed for that or I would have shown up and put on my work, my happy face, my work face, tough, you know, made it through the day and, and gone home and, and spent another, you know, another whole day dealing with what was happening. And, um, and so I've always, uh, you, know, you want to say more? I'll pause. Um, I'm trying to pick up your thread. Well, the thread. Of condone schizophrenia. Yeah, yeah. kind of well, throw the, me on that uh, one. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thread <laughs> is, is that. No, yeah, I think I actually get it, honestly. There was no honestly. spirit allowed at work. Yeah. There was okay. team spirit, mm. <laughs> but there were like a pep rally, yeah. but there was no spirit allowed. There was no mm. heart 
So spirit might actually even just be um, heart. It might be I mean, in any number. Of, mm. So it's not even, what is spirituality? Is that being in, filled with spirit? Maybe. Um, and so that's more of what spirit means to me. And that there were, that people were afraid. And it's different now. Thank God for the boomers and the Gen Zs. I mean, really, it's, they're really, <laughs> they, you all emote. Thank goodness. And um, <laughs> I'm, I'm so appreciative because that was not okay yeah. when we were starting out in the regular workplace. It was just not okay. You could be happy, you could be sad, you couldn't really emote. You yeah. couldn't really bring your whole self. Yeah. And so that was that, the kind of a, a basis for our work when the beginning was. Um, and one of the first things we did was that conference. Yeah. Passion for Life. Yeah. And we had some of the great spiritual leaders of our time uh, at this rather, it was a good sized conference, several, um, 800 people. And the focus was um, how do we live, heal, and die um, fully. Fully. And so we had you know, some really amazing people as speakers back then. It was a pretty traditional conference. But it formed, I think, the question of spirituality. Not religion, but spirituality really was at the heart of, of our Heartland Institute, which was our first company. And then when we went on to the inner life of business in 1997, it really was about spirituality and business although we broadened it and also we had speakers and we had you know people from different religious and spiritual institutions and um, but, but they were business conferences they were yeah but it was the melding of bringing spirituality to work we were also helped start a, a international conference called spirituality in the workplace and so, or spirit and business. Is spirit and business, yeah. yeah. Spirit and business. I and, and to call. So we've always had that. That's always been a part of our work. So it's not a, you know, you you looked at spirituality from your perspective. From mine, it's really at the core of everything that we do. It's really the focal point of, you know, who we are. It's the, the sense of who are we as, as spiritual beings. Well, um, how about who are we as whole yeah, beings? Yeah. Because I think that's where this is all going now. It's about whole personhood. It's about whole being beingness in relationship with other beings and other whole you know, people people and uh, and other other beings expressing more of themselves because just spirit and self are well that's dialectic. a matter of where we played now we played a lot in the workplace and we've really done uh, part of what we've done is we didn't go off uh, and speak to the spiritual choir our focus like it was with the wards was to go into the workplace early on. It was part of our decision to do that. 
and to work with uh, folks in that in the realm of spirituality or consciousness yeah. in the workplace consciousness and so i think you have a an issue around same spirituality i think that was always a a tough yeah. thing for you because remember when we would talk about the sacred yeah, and yeah, you go yeah. don't say the sacred yeah yeah and and it was you know yeah we had to we because here we were working inside these organizations. I mean, some of them are large companies, some of them are, are religious institutions we're working with. And so language, as you said earlier, was really, really important. But holding to who we are and not, not being afraid. That's not necessarily spirituality. That's <laughs> I, I love what's emerging here, though, because it's such a key thing, yeah. like the, the language, right? The language, because because we're, we're talking about That's wholeness right. and, and, and the word, the word yeah. choice can create division, you know, with and, you know, some and, and 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 it's a really interesting territory because we are talking about wholeness. But the way that you frame it and articulate it, totally. all the difference in the way that a person, depending on their orientation, receives it. And, and that's what I, I really love about, about you know, the process that I've gathered from, from you guys, which is that it's, it's implicitly whole, wholesome rather than yes. explicitly so, right? It's not trying to give you a dogma as much as it is trying to kind of like implicitly allow that to, mm. to emerge. That's it. The dogma part is the religiosity, the, the spirit, and I want to stay on that because I think it's important because in the foreword, Richard Leiter wrote something and he said, as the first time, Richard's a, one of the deans and gurus of, of coaching. and yeah. Executive coaching. Executive yeah. coaching. Yeah. And Richard used that language. I mean, he said, this is a spiritual book. And I thought that was pretty bold. And we had a you know, we had a conversation. Whoa, do we, is that how we want to be seen, right? So we had that, that conversation, mm. which has really been a conversation we've had from the very beginning. How deep do you really want to go here? You know, I mean, do you really want to go into a, a place of, of, of essence and who are you and ask those really tough questions, which in a large part, people would say, Oh, that's where my, that's spirituality, or that's my religion. I don't want to go there. But what I really want to do is just be a real person. That's the wholeness. Right. Yeah. Right. It's. I mean, it's, and it's, I feel like it's such a, um, I mean, you could say this is one of the biggest divides in our society because we have a, this whole thing around separation of church and state and, and for good reason, but we're, but we're talking about something different here. We're, we're talking about, um, you know, even there isn't good language around it because words like spirituality kind of make it seem something that is other than just human wholeness. And, and, and therein it, it becomes like a really subtle territory around how you articulate these things and, and then how you um, create, environments for that to really be realized be between people i have a sense that it's changing 
you know, we've been at this for a while mm. and um, we've watched decades roll on by, right? And certain things you can talk about and certain th things you can't. I mean, for example, in the business world back in the late 70s and the 60s and 70s, there was this resurgence of OD work, organizational development, which had it as basis this humanistic and sometimes spiritual background that disappeared in the business world in the 80s and 90s and is now coming back in many ways in different forms. Wholeness is one of the ways that it's expressed, but mindfulness is no longer a taboo. I mean, people, right. you know, yeah. mindfulness is, is a standard, you know, a training in, in most organizations now. Right. So, you know, things are really shifting. And with the pandemic, people are getting more and more real with one another. It's really refreshing. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's wonderful to be able to, you know, to peel it back and just say, how are you? Right? We were saying that earlier. And instead of, oh, fine, or this or that, and somebody's going to tell you how they really are. It's powerful. There's a multi-dimensional, multi-faceted sensibility about wholeness, though. So I talk about in, in Arctic and Being, in all my programs, actually, the whole person leadership for women, <clears throat> that, um, that we design, we create structures and then design for wholeness, for people to show up and to figure out first what that might look like and um you know I, I i've said you know the messy parts the parts you love the parts you hate the parts you're not sure about parts you're shy about the parts you are sure about i mean there's so much to wholeness but the expression of that might be is so different for each person depending on their comfort with their own essence yeah or their own spirit mm -hmm. or their own sense of themselves yeah and but wholeness is a big tent that, mm -hmm. that I, I i that i'm i feel more and more comfortable with talking about it you know even though some people go wholeness what does that mean but, but you can mm -hmm. think but you can think about that in a way that's in a way less less of a barrier than thinking about well who am i as a spiritual being Right. And how, how do you, you know, how do you bring that, that quality of wholeness in, in the expression that happens in, in, in a space, you know, because I, I imagine um, when you're convening a space and, and particularly say when you're doing something as large scale as you did in Minnesota, that people are coming from all levels of development, all different kinds of backgrounds, um, all different kind of internal situations with the level of anger and, and, um, um, how, when you convene a space like that, you know, how do you bring people to a, a place of, um, you know, being able to, to, to share what's there for them in a way that isn't attacking others? And, 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 and you know, how, how do you, I, you know, because maybe what's, I, I, I hesitate there because it's, it, because it feels like almost like a paradox. On the one hand, you want them to authentically express themselves. On the other hand, you want them to, 
authentically express themselves. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm pointing at a at a subtlety there, and, and I'm I'm wondering what you know. Um, I'll let you that. answer it on the <clears throat> on the deeper side. But what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you in a second. So <laughs> there was a client that said, um, "I have to go do the public engagement meeting." And I don't, I'm just dreading it. And Craig said, why? And he said, because all they do is they yell at us. And that was true for one of the council people that we convene for. I mean, that's often their experience in a public setting is that what people want, people think that to be heard, you have to yell or, or complain. You bring forward a complaint. And so I said to Craig, well, help him design something called from complaint to engagement. If you can move people into a space of curiosity, but this could be different, and they are really gonna, there really is a chance that they're gonna be heard. Things shift, and the but but that's an internal equality that that Craig would hold when when working with this person and help this person develop that in himself. You develop in yourself the the welcome. It, you want to welcome these people. They're just doing the presumed positive intent. They're just doing the best that they can do. They're frightened often and or um, tired of not being seen or heard. And so uh, I'll let you pick it up from there. Um, your question was a, a pretty specific question of how. And every time uh, I think of the book uh, by one of our mentors, Peter Block, his yeah. book was called The Answer to How is Yes. <laughs> it's a great book. Pick it up. It's really, it was one of the, it was one of our texts in the early art of convening because it was so brilliantly. So each, each inner engagement is different and has its own unique qualities whether it's a thousand people or or your mother you know sitting across the table from you and so my response is it all starts here it all starts with who am i going to be in that relationship and and then from there it's just to me it's a series of questions and so for example, when we designed with the city council person, we sat down and we said, okay, we'll work with you. And we had, this is the, that was we had a design and, and we were very clear about how we wanted to approach and how, um, and what was her purpose and what was ours. And we shared with her some of the agreements. And so we were, we were getting clarity. We were moving through this process mm -hmm. that we use in, in, in a way, it's, it's, it's a process of illuminating what is the highest consciousness that can be developed out of this relationship. Mm -hmm. knowing, who we, knowing who we're gonna be with, knowing what the situation is, and assessing it from a perspective of what's the highest possible outcome of, of this relationship and the collective wisdom that's there right waiting. how do we harvest the collective wisdom the big question i think lorenz that might have been baked into your question is what the hell do you do about people that are angry and in conflict 
reflect and just so on their thing that they just, that's what they want to communicate. You may not have asked that that way, but that's always the fear. It's the top question. The, the, the response to that, that we've learned over time is, how do you take away that charge? How do you, how do you take it away so that whoever is in that position feels a bit safer? Mm-hmm. How do they feel safe? How do you structure a question mm-hmm. so that they can respond, not from a place of aggression or violence, but from a place of, this is how I really feel. This is, this is what I really want to communicate to you. And if there's any art to this, that's it. It's how to get in that place, how to create the environment, the container for that to emerge. A lot of folks say, well, don't you have to be in conflict? Don't you have to be, you know, doesn't it something? And I'm not sure. I mean, it, I'm, it, jury's still out as far as I'm concerned on that one. Hmm. Just, just to clarify, don't you have to be in contact for what? Uh, conflict no, to, to, to really get things or, done or to get through something. Or not seen as authentic. We're, getting, mm. we're, we're having a real dose of that right now with, with racial equity and, and all of the conversations here in Minneapolis. I mean, we live in a city that's got the lowest number of black-white disparity is the greatest of any city in America, meaning the black-white disparity between wealth, home ownership, education, it's the greatest in the country. And so people are going, well, how did it happen here first? Well, that's why. So we're having this conversation and in, and in some quarters it's still like this, but in other quarters it's starting to the conversations being had, people are finding their empathy and compassion. Um, and, and it's and really great to that, be a part of this. That's a lot more generative than expelling a lot of anger. Or um, It's good, good for a while, but... Well, it's, it's, it's not, because we all know what that does to somebody's body. Right. When you're feeling anger and you are receiving, the recipient of anger. Yeah. But... So the switch, it's, a, it's actually a pretty crucial switch about what is authentic conversation. And a lot of times people think it's complaint and anger. Mm-hmm. They think that's really authentic. And to, to help people see that, that it's so much more powerful to be engaged in a, real, a true dialogue versus uh, you know, a, a sling of information this way, a sling of information that way. Um, but that takes, some, that, yeah. that takes some work sometimes. And, and yeah, so I'd love to unpack that a little bit as far as how to really, um, how to really create the conditions for those kinds of conversations to occur. Because that's 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 what we're what we're talking about in a way, and, and what I'm hearing, I guess, in the very beginning, we talked about agreements, and and I'm also hearing a lot about the trust and 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 the safety of of, of a space, and you know, 
And uh, what are what are the building blocks of that? And 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 I imagine also that that you know, that that scale is a factor because you can you know, and it's one thing to do it in a group of eight people, but then to do it on a Zoom call with three hundred people, how you know, how do you think about really creating the conditions for these kinds of essential conversations to occur? Well, there is a structure. And again, borrowing from Peter Block, it's a structure of belonging. Right. We also call it the technology of relationship. You know, technology, kind of linear, harder, uh, relationship, softer, right? So a, a wonderful paradox. And um, within that terminology, structure of belonging, part of there are principles of convening. There are principles of conversation, there are principles of convener, and principles of the of the convener. Yeah. The structure of belonging is no small thing. We really do believe that everyone belongs. Yeah. So we we build for that. And so that's that's part of yes, yeah, so but it's part of our design network. too. And so that's mm. not always great because I don't like everyone. I don't. You know, sometimes I don't really, I don't, I mean, I do, but I don't sometimes. I don't want to necessarily hear from everyone. And, um, and so if I'm going to be true to my principles and true to that, that sense that everyone belongs and that all voices, I mean, the, the core, the foundation of convening is that um, you hear all the voices in as many places, as many ways as possible, as a way for people to begin to feel activated, but also their own sovereignty, their own citizenship. And if you're showing up as a citizen versus something else, a person separate from, then you show up differently, you show up as a neighbor. And that changes the container. And people come as citizens and neighbors as, as opposed to uh, aggrieved individuals, yeah. but go ahead with I the structure of belonging. You were going to go through the steps. I think <laughs> we are so similar and so different. I mean, part of part of what I think has made it work for forty-one years <laughs> is we can approach the same thing from such different, different perspectives. I know it's and, good and and. And really make it work. Yeah. So, so, what's your perspective? Yeah, I am not the world's greatest structuralist. However, <laughs> um, when you ask the question, um, you know, there is a pathway. Yeah. You know, it starts at purpose. It starts at the heart of the matter. Getting really clear about what you're doing, who you are, all of that. Purpose of the meeting, your purpose, intent is another piece which is not the same as purpose. It gets into a, a more of a, a, a question of what are we gonna do together once we've got our purpose, which is here. And then, you know, looking at, so this is a, a basically a structure. So you get your purpose, what do you think? What are we gonna do? What's the agenda? What's the design of what we're gonna do together? And then getting somewhat clear about that and putting out, a, out an invitation that's got a lot of genuineness to it. It's got a sense of hospitality, whatever it might be. So thinking through that process helps mm -hmm. to create something 
that's got a lot of integrity before you even engage. Mm -hmm. So it, in large part, it's about integrity. Mm -hmm. It's not a value judgment of integrity about good or bad. It's about wholeness again. It's a, integrity to me means wholeness. When you're in integrity, you're in wholeness. So if you got your purpose, intent, and your invitations clear, then you know people can arrive and they can say, oh yeah, okay, here we are. And I know what the purpose is, or at least and then it gets articulated. I know how am supposed to be here? How am I supposed to be? You create a container around physical space. In this case, we, we were on Zoom mm -hmm. with 300 people. I'll go back to that one. And then asking, this is important, asking for permission through agreements and protocols, naming them. What are the norms that we're going to work with here? Mm -hmm. What are those norms? that we all can agree with and asking for that agreement, including mm -hmm. we're here to be conveners and this is what it means. It means we can move things along and we can do this without hurting your feelings. And do I have permission to do that? Great. That in and of itself, that one thing, those agreements and protocols shifts, can shift everything. Because people have said, yes, I agree. Or they didn't. Maybe you spent some time with that. But once that's done. Well, we didn't with the 300. We just no. said, we asked your permission. Yeah, we be. did. We asked your permission. Well, no, we did. But yeah. we didn't. And, and, and generally, you it know. It was thumbs could, up. You see thumbs up. So yeah. I think but the we question. Didn't, we didn't wait to hear from all 300 people. One by one? No. We just got the general thumbs up. You're, you're pointing at something really interesting here, which is, which is kind of the territory between assertiveness and, and per, permission and, and how do you have assertiveness in a space? Because I think that's a, that's a, that, that can be a source of challenge for a lot of people, bringing people together. Um, and, and what I'm hearing is the, the answer to that is, is, is really asking for permission yeah. to be assertive. And, and it's interesting, the challenge at that point oh, yeah, yeah. in our work called the creating the container the challenge to that is um, reluctance reluctance to impose our will on others so every aspect has will a, not has being ego but will being courage being clarity being purpose right an and expression of your an expression of, of, of yeah. yeah of your agreement and with asking yourself. right and asking, yeah. yeah so every aspect has a principle and right. a challenge yeah so that's what he was referring to a little to. more detail yeah 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 and i i mean i really love this thread of permission because what i've just discovered in my own work is is that permission gives you a yeah. tremendous amount of freedom yeah. in in a conversational space especially in in every aspect of you know particularly when dealing with any sensitivity is is that you know there there can be a minefield in a conversational space that but if you just yes. ask permission to go somewhere you can actually get into extremely sensitive territory with a person. But if you do the same thing without asking for permission, Absolutely. you can create an explosive situation. And it's really amazing how, how, that, how that can open you know, up. Craig has a practice of uh, before he, like he's out, you live in questions. He's a great question asker. And so he'll listen to somebody and then he'll say, uh, may I ask you a question? 
I don't have that. Mm. I don't have that quite that automatic discipline, but he's a, I've just noticed you're a really it's, good. It's listener. coaching protocols. It is, it is coaching protocols. <laughs> it's a great protocol yeah. because yeah. then it gives somebody permission to refuse, yeah. which is also, I mean, that's what Peter Block talks. Peter no freedom Block's, without refusal. Yeah. Peter Block's really infused into our work hmm. that it gives people freedom to say, uh, no, not yet, or no, never, or, or yeah, yeah, yeah I, okay, sure. What, what, what is it? Creates freedom. Right. So I want to circle back to a word that you guys used um, towards the earlier part of our conversation. Mm. The word is transformation. <laughs> and, and, you know, so what's, <laughs> just a little word, what's, the, what's your definition of transformation in, in the context of these conversational things? Oh, you take this one. Okay. And then I'll have an opinion. For years and years and years, <laughs> we used change and transformation interchangeably. Right. Change, transformation. But it wasn't true. And we say change is like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's a repetition of historic patterns. Transformation is an actual shift in the essence of something. It's actually a shift in the essence. It's, it's no longer what it was. It's something else. Like a cellular restructuring. And, and so for us, I think at some point, we began to feel more comfortable talking about transformation. We actually named our program. We changed it from thought leader gatherings to transformational leadership collaboratory. And uh, because we were more and more confident in what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah? Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Do you? Yeah, because yeah, change, you can change back. Transformation. Mm. There's only one direction you're headed with transformation, and that's somewhere else than you were before. Yeah. And once transformed, <laughs> you can't return to that original shape. You might still have some of the habits and the patterns, yeah, but they don't fit me. Patterns, yeah, good. You've never said it that way. Mm. I like that. That's good. So you, you mentioned Peter Block, and I'm wondering, are there any other people or bodies oh of work God. that have that have really influenced? <laughs> I should show you. You haven't read the acknowledgments in our book. <laughs> it's like endless pages and pages. You know, it's like yeah. unless you can name everybody, don't name anybody. But um, Mm. Yeah, I mean, Initially, some people that stand out. Um, David Bohm. David Bohm. We never asking. met him. But down the mm. street from us oh, is right, a right. physicist that worked with David Bohm in oh, Copenhagen. Oh, Copenhagen in the 1950s. Mm. Um, oh, gosh. But David Bohm for sure. And then after that, um, we have some people that we grew up with that we would like to acknowledge that are, you know, peers that we did, you know, we all grew up in this work together. Um, Juanita Brown and David Isaac from World Cafe, uh, Christina Baldwin, Circle Work, Meg um, Wheatley. Meg Wheatley. Um, um, prior to that, Richard well, Richard Leiter. Um, but even uh, pulling back before that would be Michael Ray, who's this amazing man. He was the chair of creativity first endowed, 
Person now chair of creativity and innovation at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford. So this was way back in the 90s that for him that he was really uh, cogitating on what makes a person whole and that you bring, you know, you bring your creative self and that's all, that's like infused with spirit when you're bringing your yeah. creative self. But just on and on, our friends Farhawk and Pele with Timeless Earth Wisdom, been uh, great uh, influencers and infusers. Good friends and partners. Yeah, yeah. Um, For me, uh, some of my spiritual teachers, um, Adi Da um, and uh, Oscar Ichazo, who I mentioned earlier. Um, but then we would Werner yeah. Earhart. Werner Earhart. Est, yeah, yeah. Landmark. I was, know, I was wonderful, raised, wonderful influences on us. I yeah, think. I was raised as a Christian scientist, and that's a religion that believes in spirit, you know, God as spirit and truth and love and yeah. mother, father. So there was always a sense of more than just the, the white man, God image that a lot of religions have. It was not multi-theistic, but, and then Waldorf education had a huge influence. Yeah, on Rudolf us. Steiner. Yeah. Rudolf yeah. Steiner's work. Yeah. And and then we would be really Otto Scharmer. Otto Scharmer. Yeah. Otto's, yeah. Otto's, Otto's um, feels like, uh, uh, you know, uh, along the same path and his emergence and at, at MIT yeah. and, and presencing has been inspirational. Um, Right, right. The book presencing, yeah. Pres presencing. Yeah, I mean th that book was just just catapulted. Oh, that was another one of our texts. Yeah, presence. Yeah, yeah. was uh, a text of ours along with the answer to how is yes and Meg Wheatley's turning to one another. Right, right. Uh, were the three major texts before our book before came we wrote, out. Yeah. wrote the book. Right. Yeah. But we would be really, really yeah. remiss if we didn't think of all the people that have, we've walked with since we started the business. So um, Eric Utney, uh, Utney Reader, Eric and Nina Utney were the reason we moved to Minneapolis actually. Um, and then as so you're going to drag out all of our friends. No, as we grew, it's pretty similar. Right? We wouldn't be here. And then Willis Harmon, this fellow from uh, who's yeah. passed, Willis Harmon. Of yeah, West he was one of the founders of IONS. Uh, Notoetic science. Yeah, he was yeah. at Stanford Research Institute. Yeah, and then at, once we once we created Heartland, now Center for Purposeful Leadership, we we've always invited people in and and have some amazing people that have been walking with us since 1996, 1995 when we first started, mm -hmm. and now. Uh, conveners that have people that have been just immersed in convening since 2004 and on and um, collaborate with us and uh, inspire us and um, I mean you know re that really it's just there are it's too so we're just so we're just rich so we're you rich. and Natasha become our new new people that we just love and admire so much and are inspired by yeah. inspired by yeah. you guys i yeah. mean what you're doing and like i said you know you got us at hello it was yeah <laughs> i mean that's kind of the way we live our lives wow. and you know just keep looking
for the next we're we're <laughs> deeply inspired by by your work and and just the example that you said and just the deep 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 humility that that i feel from um from both of you so um yeah as we wrap up here how can people learn more about you do you have any upcoming programs um maybe sure, share your yeah. website centerforpurposefulleadership.com uh, every monday morning we have something called essential conversations and it's an hour from eight to nine soon to eight. be an hour and a quarter maybe we're talking <laughs> Just um, not enough time to do everything we want to do. Exactly. I mean, you you found that out from attending. Yeah, um, we decided it's, it's, this morning. It's an hour. We're talking. I decided. You decided. Oh, I decided. Oh, okay. An hour. You guys have great chemistry, by the way. I really love to it. To set your intention for the week as a leader, a purposeful leader, bringing forward positive impact into whatever your world will be. That's 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 a great place to start. And it's free, and it's, free. it's our kind of what we do. It's our gift. It's a gift, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Started during, and it's very collaborative. Yeah. We have six, seven, eight people involved, and it's a lot of fun on the team. Yeah, sometimes it can get a little out of hand, but that's good, you know. <laughs> and, and people can find this on your website. And then we have the art of convening trainings, mm -hmm. which is really kind of the baseline for what we do um, i do a core training which natasha is involved in right now and and, Patricia, it's, and it's and we're as uh, we we were gradually moving at at the very least um our conversations but um our learning platforms toward to sutra so that's yeah it's been that's been that is such a it's a that's it's that's a, a game changer it for is us. it's a game it's changer after how many years? Fifteen we use, years. We, we use Mighty Networks for some things, but um, yeah. Sutra is a whole another level yeah. of yeah. thoughtfulness and and connection and, and connection. communication yeah. and you know we never had that. We didn't have kind of after our Zoom sessions, which are what the what we do. Mm -hmm. Patricia's got uh, great virtual meetings. She teaches virtual and convening. So she teaches tools on Zoom, yeah. how to use them, yeah. but in the context of convening, which is, you know, creating the highest potential. Yep. And then I have a program called Whole Person Leadership for Women. And, um, and I'm just noticing how much yearning there is for conversation between sessions and we haven't had the platform right, right. for those conversations to happen in a generative way and then so a, that's where sutra comes yeah, in. yeah that's where sutra comes in yeah yeah yeah. Hmm. yeah beautiful yeah and i feel very much you know I, I have this thing in my mind that um the last 30 years is is really seen the the emergence of, of mindfulness and meditation and, and that as as an individual practice but but the next the 2.0 of that is is as a yeah. as a collective and group practice and that's where you know the work that you guys are doing and all of these relational things that are emerging i mean that's that's the next step with with the mindfulness yeah. movement is is really bringing that yeah. into the collaborative collective which in part you do in part you do that that's that's kind of where yeah. where i sense some of your work is and yeah. i really admire that you know we we talk about purpose right individual purpose and when we share that with others that's convening 
that's the expression of, mm. of, one, of one's inner purpose. When we share that, that's when we're engaging. And that's, that's, that's and convening creates that's a convening. structure yeah. for, for sharing. But as Richard Leiter would say, purpose is never just about you. Yeah. It's always meant to be shared. It's right. always in service of something larger than yourself. Yeah. And so we just, we provide a structure for how to remember your purpose and then how to generatively share it with others. Good. Hmm. Thank you. You guys are, are, are really so wonderful Good. to be in presence with. And <laughs> I'm so grateful for your, your, your time in this conversation. And uh, who knows, maybe to be continued in, an, in another one. Um, and in the thank meantime, you. Uh, thank lots you. of love and thank you. Hello, friends. Now I would love to hear from you. This podcast is intended to be a seed for further dialogue and much deeper exploration online. Join us at sutra.co slash show and leave your reflections in the show comments. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it. This podcast is a labor of love. Take a moment to send this to a friend who might enjoy it. I am grateful for your listening and support. So much love.